When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. You're listening to the First in Football podcast celebrating 150 years of Princeton Tigers football. Welcome back to the First in Football podcast. I'm Jerry Price. I'm here with Princeton head coach Bob Sarais. Coach, welcome aboard. Thanks, Jerry. So last week it was your old friend John Garrett. This week it's your former offensive coordinator James Perry, the head coach of the Brown Bears, the team your team will be facing Saturday at 1230 in Providence. Uh, what's it like going up against James first year at Brown, trying to build something there like you've built here after two years as the head coach at Bryan and after so many years together here where he literally helped you get this program to where it is? Yeah, there's, there's such mixed emotions because I, I was so happy for James, you know, being home. He's a Brown alum. His wife's a Brown alum. But you hate going up against your friends. I want to I want to get the scores and see my friends win every week. And when you're competing against somebody, you know, the two of us, you know, want to win this game. So at the end of the day, there's a handshake at the end and there's a respect. But one of us, you know, winds up disappointed and that that part stinks. So who has the advantage in a situation like this? He knows you. You know him. He was your coordinator. You were his boss. He knows the inner workings of what you do. You've sort of he's taken from you as he's become a head coach. Does anybody even have the advantage here? No, I mean, we, we work together. We collaborate, you know, as a staff. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, and I have no doubt in my mind, he's put his stamp on Brown football. But, but hopefully there's some things we did that, uh, you know, he's brought with him. And certainly there's things that he brought to us that we continue to do and hopefully we continue to do well. 
So James is not the only Perry you have to worry about this week. E.J. Perry, who is his nephew, is the quarterback for the Bears, and he's sort of taken their offense to another level. Yeah, EJ, you know, uh, you go way back. When you're when you're working with somebody as close as coaches do, you become family. And James used to have a cousin's camp right here in uh, Princeton where all of his family, he has a lot of brothers and sisters, would come down to Princeton. And um, my children were really close with the Perry, ch- with James Perry's children. So my kids would be part of cousin's camp. They were like second cousins, I guess. And, you, you know, my son looked up to EJ to the point when – EJ's a football player, basketball player, baseball player. He was the, the best player in all three sports, as good as anybody in the state of Massachusetts. And I would send my son, you know, uh, clippings uh, of what EJ was doing in high school because that's the type of athlete, but also the respected leader that I want, you know, my, my child to become. And, you know, when he went to Boston College, just a year ago, literally, literally less than a year ago, he was playing the Tigers, played the whole game. It was actually the Clemson Tigers. But but E.J. Perry and his dad, and you know, there's such a love you have for that family and respect you have for them. He, he's one of the best players to come into this league in my 10 years, if not the best new player to come into this league. So what's the challenge that he presents? If you look at his numbers, he can throw, he can run. I mean, he does it all. Yeah, he does everything. He's a tremendous runner. He has a great arm. He is such a great leader. He's accurate with the football. They are deep at receiver. You know, I knew when James took over, their offensive line and D-line were immediately going to get stronger. Like James, for all the credit he gets deservedly as, you know, creative and all those things, he has a toughness about him. And EJ on the field is leading with that toughness, that physical and mental toughness uh, that way. And you see it in their lines. They are physical. They are stronger. And, you know, it's a reflection of their, their program and James. So let's go back to your game against Lafayette from last week against John Garrett, another one of your friends. Uh, which which stood out to you more, the, the offensive line, the running game, the dominance of time of possession, the four rushing touchdowns, or the way your defense simply wiped out the Leopards? Yeah, I, I thought we played really well in those areas. There's some things we got to clean up, and we're working hard to do that. But I, I was really pleased with our energy. When you're on a short week and the other team's on a bye, we stressed energy. We had to have great energy, knowing they were going to come at us with, with a great energy. And then we stressed scheme. We, we didn't do as much individual. And our practices changed. Our players completely bought in to the changes we made. And I thought defensively, the adjustments that, that Steve Herbert and the staff on defense put in, our players executed brilliantly. We tackled well. We ran to the football well. And, uh, um, you know, it was a different style of defense. It was a two-gap defense. We haven't seen it since 2014 against Colgate. And the adjustments uh, Andy Ark and the offense made and the way the players execute them were terrific. So, uh, so many players played well on defense in that game. But I want to just talk about Jeremiah Tyler and sort of take it to a, a bigger point. But I was up in the press box looking down on the field even before they put on their uniforms to come out, he, he came out to warm up. You could just tell he was – there was something about the way he was carrying himself in that moment. You could just tell he was about to have a big game, and he did. 
Are you able to tell that from warm-ups? Or can you tell anything at all from warm-ups? You can tell it about certain people. He has that it factor, man. His smile can just lift the room up. He comes out to practice every day focused. He plays that way. He's, um, I, I said it a few times, he makes us tick on defense. His energy level, we got guys rising to his energy level, and he's leading by that. And uh, the, he just loves football. He, you know, you want people who enjoy what they're doing. He absolutely just embraces and loves the challenges presented every week. And he's he's been such a joy. His passion is just a, such a joy to coach. So I've always thought that this is the, the the big point of the season. You've played three non-league games and one league game. Now it's six league games in six weeks. Uh, your focus is is simply on on the task ahead of you, which is is winning another Ivy League championship. At what point do you start to look around and say, okay, well, Dartmouth is ranked, Yale's pretty good, Harvard is doing well, you know, Penn's got a good team, anybody can beat anybody. You know, now you got to play a Brown team that's building. The trip to Cornell is always difficult. Or do you, or can you stay focused on the one at a time? Yeah, I mean, people bring it up and everything else. All I care about is getting ready for practice today. Like literally, our coaches. It's not something we've ever mentioned in a staff meeting. We don't talk about anything but the task at hand. And I, I think you know, last year we we made the analogy of don't take the cheese. Like there's all that cheese out there, and our players have completely bought into the focus you need to contain, and I don't know if you can stop E.J. Perry, but to contain him, contain their receivers, to match up against that O-line and running game, to execute plays against that defense. Michael, and I'll probably mispronounce his name, Hawked, he's as good a defensive player as I've seen on film. He is, his swim move and quickness, it's like watching like an Aaron Donald at this level. He's in the backfield every game, all game, and they got a group of guys that are, that are doing that. So the second you take your mind off of how are we going to keep this guy from just destroying us? You end up uh, uh, failing at that task at hand. So we'll see how it goes. Princeton Brown, it's a 1230 kickoff Saturday in Providence. I am going to ask you to make one prediction, and I am going to hold this you to this. Our next podcast will be a week from today. Will the Yankees still be playing? Absolutely. I mean, this is like the Seinfeld episode with Costanza and Houston, right? You know, this is, you know, uh, Houston's got great pitching. We'll, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm really hopeful, but they, they, you know, they're playing today when we practice. So whatever. Bob Cerise, thanks for being with us. Good luck this Saturday. Thanks, Jerry. And we'll be back with more on the First in Football podcast after this. The Alchemist and Barrister is proud to present the First in Football podcast each week throughout the Princeton Tigers football season. Check out the newest menu edition at the A&B, breakfast on Saturdays and Sundays from 9 a.m. to 12.30, better known as Feed the Day, highlighting their specialty omelets, eggs your way, French toast, and drink specials. Visit the Alchemist and Barrister in the heart of Princeton and online at theanb.com. The Alchemist and Barrister, well known as the Cheers of Princeton, is proud to present the First in Football podcast and support the Princeton Tigers. Selwyn Simpson is in and they give to Simpson, trying to turn the near corner. Tyler drags him down. Tyler dancing around in the backfield where he likes to be. Fourth down, Lafayette will have to punt it again. Back on the First in Football podcast, joined by junior linebacker from Detroit, Jeremiah Tyler. Six tackles for a loss the last two weeks. Princeton off to a 4-0 start for the second straight season. Jeremiah, thanks for spending a couple minutes with us. No problem. Thank you. So let's go back to 2016, your freshman season. I think the first time I remember calling your name on a broadcast, the first time a lot of Princeton fans really got to know who Jeremiah Tyler was, 
blocked punt return for a touchdown against Penn in what ended up being a 28-0 victory at home. What do you remember about that play? I remember that uh, that whole week we were working on blocking a punt. Coach Gleason had put in a new, uh, a new blocking scheme, and he had uh, Jesper, I think, block that, block that punt coming off the edge. And you were the one who took it back? Yeah, yeah, and I just remember we worked on um, securing the fumbles or, like, loose balls that whole week, that whole week. And I was like, I don't know. It just felt, like, so surreal to me when that happened. I was like, jeez. How often does that happen where you really focus on something and then it actually comes up in a game? I mean, it happens at the least expected times, but, like, I, I wasn't <laughs> – it was just crazy that it actually happened, like, a loose fumble that I could actually return for a touchdown, especially my freshman year. That was kind of wild. Last year, Princeton obviously 10-0, first undefeated season since the 1960s. The nation's number one scoring offense, but defensively, you guys were fourth in the country as far as fewest points allowed. So out of 124 teams last year, you rank fourth. Do you feel like maybe the defense didn't get enough of the credit with all the records that were falling based on the offense? I mean, it's really not all about the records, and we don't really care about it. We just like to do our job and help the team win, which is the end result, because the end result spoke for itself. We won that as a team. And you've certainly been doing that last week against Lafayette. Fourth time in five games, you guys held a non-league opponent to single digits. Thinking about you, thinking about number five on the Princeton defense, I think we all think about energy, and after a big play, you come out of the backfield flying off the field. Have you always been a big energy guy? I mean, I guess so. My parents are very high energy, so I'm kind of a high energy guy too. But uh, I just really love the game, and I have a lot of passion for it. Six and a half tackles, six tackles for a loss the last two weeks, and I'm sure you could speak for a half hour on this. What makes a good pass rusher? I actually don't know. <laughs> F- figured you of all people would. But um, I don't know. It's just Coach Coach Verbit, he always pushes us during practice to work on different moves, pass rush moves. And Coach Mindy as well is always making me do the – what is it, the simple things or the basic things that I have to get good at. And he stresses that all the time in practice, and they just take over doing the game naturally. And so it just helps me make more plays. 2016, your freshman season, worked your way into a large role by the end of the season. 2017, away from this team, some injuries on defense at the end of the season. How tough was that, sort of watching from afar back home in Michigan and, and knowing that if you were out there, you could probably help this team? It was tough because it was just like watching uh, – it was like watching your family member go through it when you couldn't even help them, you know. But, like, all I had was words from my brothers when I was away. But it was it was definitely tough watching that the 2017 season, knowing that I couldn't help. But, like, I helped as much as I could with, like, encouraging words and stuff like that and definitely watched every game, so – they really had my support during that year. And then you were back last year, second team All-Ivy League defensively. You came in, you played rush linebacker, and then they had a lot of guys at rush linebacker, and they wanted to get you on the field, so you move across the defense to that Sam linebacker position. This year, you're all over the defense in the middle. Sort of talk about how your role has changed. I mean, uh, Coach Verber does a pretty good job of moving people around of where he wants to use them. And so he kind of sees me... He uses me in different areas to, like, mix up the offense a little bit because they try to uh, – at least he tells me they try to key in on, like, where I am on the field. So he likes to put me, like, in the weak – the boundary or in the in the strength side of the field. So he, like, tries to switch it up. 
and I have no problem with that. I just I'm just willing to do anything to help help the team get a win. No, back in high school, you were not only a good defensive player, but a pretty good running back at Detroit Country Day. Do you ever miss being on that side of the football? Sometimes I do miss, you know, going out for those catches and running some people over for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's go back to high school. Walk us through the decision. How'd you end up at Princeton? Um, Really, Princeton was more of a uh, four-year decision than a four-year decision because uh, I come from Detroit, Michigan, and my family isn't. Not as well off as people would probably think, but like just for like a generational difference, I feel like this was set the tone for my family. Talk about growing up in Detroit, watching football in Detroit. Who'd you sort of model your game after? Who'd you look up to? Um, I looked at a lot of people, to be honest, like because I went to high school in a country day, obviously, and our colors were blue and gold. So I was kind of obsessed with uh, Jalen Smith for uh, Notre Dame. And I loved their their colors. And, like, the way he played was with so much energy and so much bend, and he liked to hit. And, like, he always made plays. Like, he was fast on the field, super agile, and his IQ was through the roof. So I tried to, like, model my uh, play after him. Because also he wore the number nine. And in high school I wore number nine. So I thought that was pretty cool. How'd you end up? I know you were 95 as a freshman. How'd you end up with number five? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> no no good story behind that. It just sort of happens. It kind of happened, but it, I like it. I really like it, actually. You just talked about watching guys with energy, and you'll be on the opposite sideline as one, someone you know pretty well, James Perry, first season as Browns head coach 2016. Your freshman season, he was Princeton's offensive coordinator when the Tigers led the Ivy League in scoring offense. What do you know about a James Perry offense? What do you expect? Um, I just know uh, Coach Perry is a good coach. And uh, he he ran a pretty good offense while he was here because it's 2016. We won the league, right? We won the league sure title. Did. So, I mean, I'm just ready for anything he has to throw at us. Coach Weber will prepare us for this week, and we'll just practice and practice until it's permanent. And then hopefully it'll, we'll reproduce on the, uh, on, the, on the game. Jeremiah, thanks for stopping down here. Good luck this weekend at Brown. <laughs> Thank you so much. Pleasure being here. Final segment on the Week 5 edition of the First in Football podcast, catching up with Tigers third-year running backs coach Jamel Matunga. The Tigers, the sixth-ranked rushing offense in the FCS last year en route to that 10-0 finish. Jamel, thanks for spending a couple minutes on what I know is a very busy week heading into an Ivy League game. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So let's kind of go down some of your running backs. Colin Eady, last year we get a glimpse of what he can do in that game at the Yale Bowl, 226 yards, three touchdowns, a couple of long ones where he broke away. And for us, it's been really exciting to, to see what he's capable of this year as a feature back. Absolutely. No, he's, he's worked extremely hard to get himself where he is today. Um, you know, and like you said, he's just a play away from being explosive. So, you know, the thing that I love about him is he does everything well in the pass game, uh, pass protecting. So he, he's a very versatile player. Seems like he's really developed as a pass catcher out of the backfield. Yeah, I, I think we've put him in uh, – a few more opportunities to catch the ball a little bit. He's always been pretty good catching it. Um, but this year, he's just kind of been on the field in the right place at the right time to, you know, probably increase his stats a little bit. But 
no, he, he's always been really good at catching the ball. And up until a couple of weeks ago, he had never in his career been tackled for a loss. I think it was like 130, 135 carries. How do you go 100-plus yeah. carries without getting knocked back once? So in our room, you know, the goal is to never take a, a loss. So, you know, a, a zero gain is what we're going to live with if there's a breakdown in the, you know, up front or anything like that. But uh, so that's just been something that we always preach and, you know, he had been getting it done. You know, the, the play that it didn't happen on, we were probably trying to be a little bit uh, too aggressive on, um, you know, being a third and long uh, in that situation. He was just trying to make a big play happen. So, um, you know, it, it's something that, you know, one TFL is, is not a bad deal. And, you know, we'll just get right back on the next streak. Ryan Quigley, his partner in crime in the backfield. We've seen a lot of him on third down over the past couple of seasons, but now as a senior, sort of helping Kalanidi split that load, what does Ryan bring to the offense? Seems like a little bit of a different dimension. Yeah, he a little bit of a different dimension. The, the special thing, like I said, just like Colin, both those guys, they do everything well. So for me, I have a hard time on the sidelines. Okay, who's going in on this play? Um, That's a good problem to have. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, it, whether it's a passing down or a running down, so to speak, you know, both of those guys can get it done. So, you know, he's been running extremely hard. Um, I think his yards per carry are up a little bit just because he's been probably a little bit more fresh uh, in times that I put him in there. So, you know, the, both of those guys are great complement to each other. Talking with Princeton football running backs coach Jamel Matunga. Trey Gray, we saw him go into the end zone, his second rushing touchdown of the season last Friday against Lafayette. Seems like you guys as a coaching staff, and Bob Sarace has talked about this, just a guy where you're trying to find some places to get him on the field. Absolutely, and that, that's one of the things with the, the other two guys. The depth is so strong between those two. It's, you know, he's another tremendous player, and he was a you know, big recruit for us. Is how do we get him on the field and, and what positions uh, best suit him? So um, I know last year, you talk about his touchdowns. You know, last year he was pretty disappointed not to get in uh, he had a few opportunities in some games, and, you know, this year he's making it a point that if he's in the red zone, he's going to get in the end zone. So, Let's talk about a couple of the younger guys. A little bit further down on the depth chart, Thiago Onwanyu. I think we saw him in the Butler game. And then yep. Davis Klein, who I keep wanting to call Klein Davis, but it's Davis <laughs> Klein, a guy who you didn't necessarily recruit. He just was good enough and smart enough to get into Princeton on his own, and he's gotten some reps. Yeah, he, he's a special person. Um, he got into Princeton on his own, and – you know, jump right into the offense. He probably knows it better than most guys. Um, you know, so he's been a tremendous plus. And, you know, there'll be times where he'll ask me the right question that, okay, yeah, let me think about that and, uh, you know, figure out what's going to be the best thing for us uh, and what we do in the offense. So, um, you know, he's definitely a critical thinker. And, you know, for me, the fastest way on the field is trusting you. Um, and he's done a great job of, you know, building my trust in him. Do you get that a lot here at Princeton where players ask questions that maybe you wouldn't get asked at other places? Absolutely. Uh, the king of the questions, Ryan Quigley. So, you know, <laughs> th these guys are extremely smart, and they, they tend to overanalyze things at times, and you got to remind them, hey, it's just football. All right, this isn't your uh, classics class. So just, you know, really toning those guys down at times where they're thinking a little bit too much and, you know, really getting them to just play hard and, you know, have fun doing it. Sticking with that theme, so this is your third season on the sidelines for Princeton. What do you know now that you didn't know about coaching at Princeton when you first took the job? Uh, really, kind of going back to what I was just talking about, you know, th those guys are so smart that, you know, they kind of overthink things. Um, so it's been a, that was a little different dynamic uh, for me. And, you know, it's 
they've kind of caused me to think a little more critically at times on things just to be prepared for some of the questions that they're going to have. Um, so just always being, you know, three steps ahead of these guys is, is a big thing, uh, to say the least. Let's talk a little bit about you and, and your summer, an interesting month of August down in training camp with the Atlanta Falcons, the Bill Walsh Fellowship Program. Talk about that experience and, and that program. Uh, it, it was awesome. Um, you know, I got to spend a lot of times uh, – you know, popping into different meeting rooms and things like that. And, you know, Dan Quinn's a tremendous defensive mind. So every chance I got to get away from the offense a little bit and sit in some of those defensive meetings, it was great. Um, but I worked with the wide receivers and the running backs and really just bounced around as much as I can, you know, try to be a sponge and pick up anything that I could. So it, it was an awesome experience. Just the other thing, too, is just seeing the dynamics of an NFL, you know, locker room and kind of, you know, the interactions between the players and coaches and, you know, the uh, front office and things like that. It was definitely a different thing. Your opponent this weekend, I think we sort of have an idea what to see from a James Perry coached offense, but as an offensive coach, what have you seen on film from the Brown defense? They're really tough, um, you know, different from last year. I think they've gotten a lot stronger. You know, they're, they're willing to, to, you know, mix it up up front and, and they play really hard. Um, you know, these guys run to the ball in the back end. So it's going to be a tough game. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to be prepared for some of the things that we're going to do because it's things that they work on every day in practice when they're going against their offense. So uh, it's definitely going to be a tough game. And, you know, I know going up to Brown hasn't always been, you know, great outcomes for the Tigers. So we're, we're definitely excited to get up there and compete. Well, thanks for stopping down and joining us. And good luck Saturday up in Providence. We'll talk to you then. All right. Thanks for having me. That was Princeton running backs coach Jamel Matunga. This has been the Week 5 edition of the First in Football podcast presented by the Alchemist and Barrister. A reminder that you can catch new episodes every Wednesday during the season. We'll talk to you next week as the Tigers get set to welcome Harvard in for Week 6. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.